Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are continuing our study of John chapter 11 and really the uh, Jesus intervening with the death of Lazarus. Today we're going to focus on verses 7 through 15. I'm going to read, you can follow along. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And this is right after Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick, come back. And Jesus has told his disciples, effectively, that Lazarus is just sleeping. He will be raised, effectively, from the dead. It will be for the glory of God. And now he announces, let's go back to Judea. And that was like saying, I'm going to go back into the front lines. I'm going to go back where my life has been threatened. I'm going to go back where it's the most dangerous. And this lesson today is about you facing the dangers of life. You facing all the things that we face as Christians. And Jesus is going to give you a paradigm as to how we ought to look as Christians in leading a life that brings us into dangerous circumstances. And so uh, I'll continue reading there, verse 7. Then he said to his disciples... Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They just never got it, did they? They just never got it. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he, then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad. How about that? Uh, was, I, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> kind of a negative view there, but uh, you, got, you, you see the human aspect. You can't go. You can't go. They're going to kill you. Right, you want to go? All right, we'll go with you. Then we'll die. We'll die with you. Uh, and you see that Jesus really doesn't believe that. Jesus has an entire different perspective. And that's one of the things we're going to focus on today in this lesson. So, Jesus delays two days after learning from Mary and Martha that Lazarus was seriously ill. Jesus delays two days. Come quick. Lazarus is sick and Jesus delays two days. Uh, and in those two days, uh, Lazarus expires. And frankly, theologians believe that by the time Jesus got the message, Lazarus was already dead. All right? That's what most theologians believe. And so he says, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to where they're threatening me. Let's go back to the hotspots. Let's go back to where people hate me. Let's go back to where people revile me. How does that sound? Sounds like a world you live in, right? Let's go back. I'm not afraid to go back. I'm not afraid to go back because God has anointed my days. God has declared what my days are. 
Nobody will shorten your life unless God allows it. Amen. I want you to understand that. Nobody can shorten your life. As my father used to say, and I love quoting him, if you were born to be shot, you'll never be hung. <laughs> the old man had a way with really articulating things. He had a way of articulating. And, and, and he also used to say, you will not exit this world one day earlier than God has decreed. Okay? One day earlier. That's important to know that. Because so many of us are living in fear. Oh, what if and this and that and this and that. And what's going to happen? Don't worry about that. You have given your life to God. You have given him, yourself to him. He has you in the palm of his hand. Nothing is going to come your way that he does not allow. Let's understand that. That's what we've bargained with for God as Christians. That's what God has given us. And so Jesus makes this very simple statement that typical of Jesus operates on multiple levels. Uh, and where Jesus said that there are 12 hours of daylight, a man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light in him. Well, obvious, as always with Jesus, there's multiple levels. Yes, Jesus is right. You walk in the daytime, you walk when there's regular light, especially so during this period of time when artificial light was, was limited. Uh, certainly, you took chances. You could get hurt. You could fall. Uh, but Jesus is speaking operationally uh, of even something even greater, that he himself is the light of this world, that he brought light into this world, that this world is full of darkness in every possible way. And so when you walk with Jesus, you walk with the natural light in every way that you go. You will light the path. Other people will see you and they'll, they'll be drawn to you. And so you need to understand that. And in this particular gospel, in the gospel of John, uh, John often references Jesus' statements about time. Jesus was very specific about time. He made a number of statements about time indicating how he viewed time and death and resurrection. Uh, in uh, John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Jesus said, My time has not yet come. We can turn to that, John chapter 2. And I give you these verses so that you can keep them and reflect on them. And here was a woman that asked Jesus, oh, it was his mother, asked him to come to Cana and, and help the guests out because they had run out of wine. And Jesus says in verse 4, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Meaning, my time to go on to the stage of, of ministry and to reveal who I am has not yet come. So Jesus is referring to time there. Uh, and and uh, also look at John chapter 7, verse 30. At this time they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. How do you like that? His time had not yet come. And that's the verse I want to, I want to say applies to you. Exactly. That when you go out and you <coughs> confront evil or evil comes against you or you're where people don't love you or even worse, they revile you. I want you to understand something. Do not be afraid. He's with you. Nothing is going to happen to you that he does not allow. It's an important thing to understand. It's an assurance in your heart and a reflection 
So in saying to his disciples that he wanted to return to Judea, he was deliberately choosing a word that would remind them of what awaited in that area. That's how Jesus is. He's testing us. I'm going to go back where they want to kill me. What do you think about that? Oh, Jesus, no, don't, please, don't. This is bad. Don't do it. And, and, and so the question was, is it wise to go back to an area where they reviled you, where his life would be at risk? And Jesus was testing his disciples to see whether or not they trusted God. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? Because if you trust God, you'll step out. Even when it looks like it's not a good thing, even when, it, when, when people are going to hate you or revile you, you will test out, you will step out in, in any way. Jesus wanted to show them that the ordering of their lives was fully within the province of God. That's the lesson. The ordering of your life is within the province of God. Now, if I were in an auditorium in which people who are not saved or not committed their lives to God, I couldn't say this. I can't say Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Don't worry about it if you're having a bad day. I can't say that. That verse does not apply to the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's understand it. That verse does not apply to the world. That verse only applies to people who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. You've given your heart to Jesus Christ, and Romans 8 is your verse. Romans 8, 28 is your verse. And so he's testing them. And, and you see that even as he's testing them, and, and, and this is so poignant. When, so when you think to, of yourself and you say, oh, I, I still I have so many doubts. I have so many things in my life, even though I've been a Christian. Look at Thomas. He's walking there with him for three years. This is coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. And when Jesus said, we're going back, and Thomas goes, all right, ah, good, we'll go back, we'll die with you. We'll die with you. If that's what you want, we'll die with you. I mean, honestly, you see, you see the human aspect uh, so much. No, you're not going to die, unless it's God's will. Unless it's God's will. And so the point here is, it is a comfort. I don't know about you, but I hope it is. It is a comfort for me to know that God is in charge of my life. That means when I get up in the morning, I don't have to have an overwhelming sense of fear. When I watch the, the business channels and I see the stocks going down by five, six hundred, I don't have to throw myself off a second floor window. Or even yesterday, when I saw, unfortunately, that, that Supreme Court Justice Scalia died. Uh, you know, God forbid, all right, godly man. And I understand what that means. Let me tell you something. That is probably more important than the presidential election. Understand this. The Supreme Court nominee is more important than the presidential election. Now, do I say we're doomed? Do I say it's over? God is in control. All right? Yes. You can clap for that. God is in control. I don't understand it. I'm not God. I don't know what he has in mind. But God is in control well, let me tell you something. Uh, and God is in control of our lives. And so this is a lesson that we have to understand. Um, and, and it's interesting because this, is, this had come up before with Jesus. And so Jesus is trying to tell them about what it means to have God in your life, to know that the days of your life are fully within the province of God. What does that mean? And, and it was a great section about this. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Verse 31. 
At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. Good for you, Jesus. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today, tomorrow, and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. How do you like that answer? All right? I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of Herod. I understand that he has the power over me. But God has ordered my life, just like you. God has ordered your life. And I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to preach. I'm going to heal. And then I love Jesus always. Make reference to the third day. You like that? How many times the third day and they're oblivious? I don't get it. The third day, I don't get it. But they will get it. They will get it. They will get it big time. But you see this. And so here it is. Um, There's three principles that are suggested uh, in this aspect of what Jesus is talking about. First, God gives us a certain amount of time and nothing can shorten it. You have been given a certain amount of years in your life. God has given you that. Nobody is going to shorten that. Listen to what I'm saying. Nobody but God is in charge of your life as a Christian. So live, live your life fully. Live it committedly. Give it to God. Serve God. Look for opportunities to do that because God has decreed the ordering of your life, the ordering of your time. No one, no one is going to cut it short. So even if you think, oh, this smoke might be dangerous, maybe this is going to add stress to my life, I don't know if I need this, I want to assure you that if you're serving God, that stress is not going to shorten your life. All right? That stress is not going to shorten your life. And we have people here that go into very dangerous areas. We have people that go in mission fields uh, into the most incredible area. We have people that go into prisons here. You know that that's not a safe situation, yet we have people that serve God and do that. Your time will not be cut short. You do not need to fear people or what people can do to you. If God is in control, they have no jurisdiction over your life. I want to tell you that. This is, you see Jesus telling his disciples, even as he's going to go back to Judea. Second, Christ's question to his disciples suggests that God gives each of us a certain amount of time, nothing can shorten it, and that there is time enough for everything that needs to be done. Listen to what I'm saying. He's given you enough time to do what he wants you to do to serve him. So if you start saying, oh, I'm busy I can't get there. I can't do that. I can't find the time. You better find the time. You better take and prioritize your life. You need to find a way to serve him and expand the kingdom. You need to be out there doing what he has called you to do. I told you that that image that I have of when we finally get to see Jesus. And he looks there and, and he looks at you and he says, Oh, gee, John, I had such great plans for you. You're in heaven. I had such great plans for you. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear him say, well done. Well done, Bob. Well done, Jim. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. And so there's time enough in your life. Time enough. Establish appropriate priorities. Third, the third aspect of what Jesus is saying suggests that we should not stumble. We should not waste time. And that's 
reflected in his passage about walking during the daytime, walking with the light. When you walk with the light, when you walk with Jesus Christ, you will be doing the things that Jesus wants you to do. When you lift up the Lord and the Lord is giving the light to everything you're doing, you will walk in an appropriate way. You're not walking in the darkness because Jesus is the light himself. Now, Jesus made it very clear, crystal clear, that he is the light. And I want to give you a couple places where it says that. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There it is. You follow Jesus. The light emanates from you through Jesus Christ. He is in you. And as he's in you, the light comes without you. It shows itself to the world in where you walk and what you do and how you live. That is why I told you that your life becomes the very, the veritable poster board for Jesus Christ. When people look at how you handle sacrifice, how you handle persecution, how you handle difficulties, here's ultimately what they're going to say. There's something different about you. I don't get it. There's something different about you. I see how you handle bad news. What is it? And as I said to my group on Monday, don't say, well, you know, I'm a pretty strong person. I've got good character. I'm well educated. Don't, don't do that. That's when you put your face in the dust and you say, it's because I have Jesus in my heart. That's why you're able to act differently. Do you honestly think it's your character? Your person, you really think so? You get a bad diagnosis? Well, I have, a, I have good character. Really? Really? Now, you know what? You haven't lived long enough. Or you haven't gone through enough dark times. Your character and personality are totally inconsequential. You want to live that kind of life? It's because Jesus has inhabited your heart. And the light of Jesus Christ comes out. And that's what the world sees, that you're able to understand. You know where you're headed. You know where the finish line is. You know what it's about, and you put your priorities together. This life is a twinkling of the eye, a twinkling of the eye. Even if you make it to 90 or 100, and we have people here in, the, in these classes that are in that neighborhood, in that neighborhood, let me tell you something, it's still a twinkling of the eye. You talk to somebody that's 100 years old, and they'll tell you it seems like they were just born. That's what this life is about. And so we understand that. That's how God is. That's what Jesus is doing to us. Look also at uh, uh, chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 5. This is when he heals the blind man. And he says in verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's it. There is only one light in this world. Only one. It's Jesus Christ. There is no other light. It's Jesus. The darkness in this world comes from Satan, comes from evil. We are swimming in a sea of darkness. The only thing that we have with us the only thing that we have is Jesus Christ. Look also, if you would, take a look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs. I love this little set of verses. I think it's so appropriate as you understand this. Proverbs 4, uh, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Here it is. All right. The way of the righteous comes from Jesus Christ. The light is emanating from you. God is lighting your life. And, and you walk as you walk with him. As you walk with him, God 
God opens your path and leads your path. Uh, and so we gain insight here in this series of passage about how Jesus faces threats, how Jesus faces evil, and how Jesus faces death. Now, Jesus viewed death very differently from the perspective of a believer as contrasted to an unbeliever. Well, let me make sure that you get this. Because I often hear people say, well, you know, I don't really believe. I don't believe in hell. I don't think God would really send anybody to hell. Well, they're right about that. We send ourselves, you know. But I don't believe that there's really a hell. Well, all I would say to you is if you don't believe that, then you haven't been reading the Bible. Because nobody speaks about hell more than Jesus. He makes it very clear. And Jesus had a very different view of where those who believed in him would go as contrasted to those who were unbelievers. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 25. Again, one of the parables that Jesus is speaking about in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. That's pretty clear, I'd say. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me. And I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. How about that? Clearing up for you? Clear up any confusion? Walking around in a fog? Not sure about it? I'd say it's pretty clear here. Pretty clear here. Uh, God is making it very clear that, that for those who do not believe, those who have not incorporated uh, Jesus into their life and are living a life in accord with God's principles, helping all those people that needed help desperately, you see what happens as, as it's becoming crystal clear. Look also at Matthew chapter 10. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Underline that. There it is. Be afraid of Satan. And when we say be afraid, it doesn't mean live in fear of. It means respectful of the authority and power of Satan. We're not afraid of Satan because we have Jesus in our heart. Yet we know that he surrounds us, that he's in this world, that we're in a sea of evil. Uh, and we, we're fully understanding of what that means. And we've committed our life to him in every possible way. Uh, and so that's what Jesus, so Jesus is saying there's a very different locale to the believer as contrasted to the unbeliever. So you get his perspective now on how Jesus views danger, how Jesus views threats, how Jesus wants you to live your life. And what it means when it's all over, where you will be. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words you've given us, for the lesson today. Father, let this grow in our hearts and resonate with us evermore. Protect our people. Bless them this week and bring them back safely to continue this study next week as well. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.